Welcome to The Archetypist, the only analytics-based genre fiction podcast. I'm Jacob, one of your hosts here with you today to talk about emotional description. Here's a brief example that I wrote just now to get us started. Fair warning, when I say just now, I just now wrote it. There was a shooting on Oakmont Street last night. Fifteen shells in the street. Bump stock, the cops said over the radio. I didn't hear about it until the next morning when I was sipping my coffee and my wife was checking our neighborhood group chat. And suddenly, the charming street of old 1940s houses seemed to tarnish. The old drafty single-pane windows became fragile and fantasies of leaving one open on a cool summer night foolish. When I was a child living in a suburb of Baltimore, we used to leave our doors unlocked. But now that too seems foolish in hindsight. Our neighbors found bullet holes in their house, three in the garage, one in the office, and a ricochet off their car. And now I sit here and wonder if one of these days I'll never wake up, or worse, I will, covered in someone else's blood. Okay, as a recap, we've been discussing the concept of immersion through four types of description. In the first episode of this segment, we talked about scientific description, or describing a scene scientifically or just essentially saying what exists there without any sort of emotion or poetry. And the second episode was on sensory description or describing an event seen character through a character's personal lens. We also talked about filter words and personal relativity. So today we're going to be building on this and discuss emotional description or the human or non-human for the fantasy SF horror crowd reactions or feelings in response to both the point of view and a stimulus. So going back to the example of the World Trade Centers, we see the facts of a stimulus or the towers were hit, they're burning, and we experience it. The smoke smells a certain way, the flames are a certain color, lick the building supports a certain way. Sonically, there's a deep groan as the towers begin to collapse, and then we react to it. Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe people are jumping, etc. For the older crowd, this brings up memories of things that happened in their past. Potentially the JFK assassination, the Unabomber, or the Martin Luther King assassination. Emotional description is the interplay between an individual, their memories, and the scene. Building emotional description is a great way to focus on mood, which again brings up personal relativity. For example, my wife loves snowboarding. To her, the snow is magical and wondrous. For me, all I can think about is my cold, wet feet and my boots. Using emotional description is how you build the telltale moods in certain genres. The sense of wonder in science fiction and fantasy, ecstasy in romance, grit in detective noir, and the uncanny in horror. Now, just as a sidebar, we're going to go over what the sense of wonder is and the uncanny. And the sense of wonder here can also be described as what's called the sublime, which is a major element of romance poetry. That's the big R romantic movement like Wordsworth and Percy Shelley and not the small R romance of love poetry. Kant um, describes the sublime as follows. It's a quote from him. He says, if beauty is bonded and has form... And the sublime is unbonded like the sea in a storm or a range of mountains that exceeds our capacity to observe its structure, which is pretty, but also unhelpful. The uncanny 
is most famously described as the uncanny valley, which is a hypothesized relation between an object's degree of resemblance to a human being and the emotional response to that object. This is from Wikipedia. The concept suggests that humanoid objects that imperfectly resemble actual human beings provoke uncanny or strangely familiar feelings of eeriness and revulsion in others. This is often used in horror films, like when a doll moves a little too much like a human or a beloved's smile goes a little too wide before the demon takes over. It's meant to be a visceral emotional reaction. Additionally, emotional description can also be used to describe attraction and repulsion. It's a great place to include your character's triggers or the emotions they have wrapped up in inanimate objects. For example, a wedding ring from a failed marriage that a newly single mother finds in her drawer as she gets ready for her first date in 10 years. I bet the emotions she feels when she sees that wedding ring are vastly different now from when it was first given to her. So your job here with emotional description is to highlight those differences and throw us in some emotional flashbacks that are maybe only a few lines long. It's important here to focus on emotions and summarize facts. Here's a few examples. Danny looked around the corner. The fire extinguisher was there. A flat hose folded back a dozen times on itself. Red tank attached to the wall. Above it was an axe in a glass case like a museum exhibit with white words painted on a red background. In case of emergency, break glass. Danny could read the word emergency, which was also the name of one of his favorite TV shows, but was unsure of the rest. But he didn't like the way the word was used in connection with that long, flat hose. Emergency was fire, explosions, car crashes, hospitals, sometimes death. And he didn't like the way that hose hung there so blandly on the wall when he was alone. He always skittered past these extinguishers as fast as he could. No particular reason. It just felt better to go fast. It felt safer. And that's The Shining by Stephen King. Here's another. The old house, one I had lived in for seven years from when I was five until I was twelve. That house had been knocked down and was lost for good. The new house... The one my parents had built at the bottom of the garden, between the azalea bushes and the green circle in the grass we used to call the fairy ring, that had been sold 30 years ago. I slowed the car as I saw the new house. It would always be the new house in my head. I pulled up to the driveway, observed the way they had built out on the mid-70s architecture. I had forgotten that the bricks of the house were chocolate brown. The new people had made my mother's tiny balcony into a two-story sunroof. I stared at the house, remembering less than I had expected about my teenage years. No good times, no bad times. I lived in that place for a while as a teenager. It didn't seem to be any part of who I was now. That's The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Now you try. Read over that scene you've been working on. Was there any emotional description in the original draft that you wrote? Did any sneak in on your revisions to highlight the scientific and sensory description? What parts of your setting can trigger strong emotional energies? This is a good time to familiarize yourself with your character's past and internal trauma. A crackling campfire means two very different things to a Boy Scout and a house fire victim, right? Go ahead and revise your scene once this episode is over. Where can you include more emotional description? And remember, this is the scene where the character moves from a place of darkness into a place of light. In the next episode, we'll focus on poetic description, which is making your words and your character's experiences your own, saying them how you want them 
to be said. And using poetic devices in order to give the reader a chance to actively participate in your prose. But that's all I have for you today on this topic, so have a great rest of your day. And if you have any other questions or comments, please feel free to find us on Twitter at at archetypist underscore pod or email us at archetypistpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, stay positive, stay safe, and stay connected. Archetypists, out.